Cause I'm in the shit house Wish I played in a rock and roll band Somebody give me a dollar bill So I can pass out on the jukebox singing Honk, it's all women I know Carlin's like the, the big things, you know I, I just don't know him as well as I know other folks And Richard Pryor's definitely... Like I said, it's kind of like talking about, you know, fucking Chuck Berry. It's like, no, it didn't sound like Eddie Van Halen, but it's where it came from. Like, you, you know, you wouldn't have had it without it. But, Such a cool but speaking of uh, Eddie Van Halen, obviously he did pass away. I mean, you, you two guys as guitar players, like what did What do you he, think about him? I don't, I don't know if we've ever talked about Eddie Van Halen. I think he's amazing. Uh, it's not, I would never try to learn it. It's not like, uh, well, I, you can't really learn it. If music, it's almost like the Bill and Ted thing. If music came to save the world or came from another planet, like because it's so melodic, you can you can hear the enthusiasm that he has. That All that right. he's almost like surprised that he's that good as well. You can hear that. Yeah, he's having his, so much fun. Yeah, he's having it's every like, time he's smiling. It's like he's watching his fingers move. Like holy shit! I think with with Eddie Van Halen, it's just like the imagination. Just the imagination to like recognize that possibility. Yeah, I think that's the thing Eddie Van Halen does for me is like when I hear it, I feel like I'm 10 again. Like I haven't, like, you know, this is, I'll try not to digress, but if you get, if you approach the speed of light, you do, you really don't go any fast. Like you can be, you, you can be going 90% of the speed of light and you're, and the speed of light is still going the speed of light faster than you. That's a thing I had a guy explain yeah. to me. Mm-hmm. He was, he, he was a cosmologist from uh, Caltech. Anyway, um, Eddie Van Halen's like that. Even like, no matter how good and the shit I can do on guitar now that I'm even proud of, Eddie Van Halen is still going the speed of light faster than me on the guitar. Like, I haven't really gained on Eddie Van Halen at all. <laughs> and he's the only guy I, who I really love is playing. I, to your point, Neil, I just don't fuck with it because I'm like, the world doesn't need to fucking hack Eddie Van Halen. Let me ask you this. Do you ever put Van Halen on? No, I, I really don't, honestly. Oh, well, my, one of my, uh, my brother-in-law, who was, he was like 17 when I was born, um, he was way into Van Halen, and so I heard a lot. And just, you know, being a guitar guy and just always being in the guitar. And there's a couple movies in Better Off Dead with John Cusack. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that? Mm-hmm. He's working at the burger stand with the guy from Porky's, the burger guy, chief asshole, whatever. And he starts having this vision. He's, he falls asleep and he's imagining the burger is alive like Frankenstein. And, and they're playing Everybody Wants Some by Van Halen. <laughs> And it's like, that's a stupid, cool, like, it's just, yeah. the thing with Van Halen, man, is like, it's, I, there's no one I, I listen, that I hear that's more technical, that is as still a good a songwriter, writes music that people actually want to listen to. He is, to me, the, the highest end of the spectrum in terms of technicality that is still aesthetically. Well, yeah, like, and he created a narrative. his own genre yeah. of guitar. There's a bunch, like, what's the um, guy, Eric? Yeah, like, Eric, Eric John, like, just that whole, um, Tapping. The former tight end for the San Francisco 49ers? That whole tapping, virtuoso, melodic, classical, like, not blues-based, really. But uh, there's obviously a lot of blues going on. It's in there. Right. Ice cream man, bro. Ice cream man. <laughs> well, it's Jesus. all... It, it, he just got... He had more of the classical stuff Com- compared to anybody else. It was still 70, 60% rock and but blues. I, it was I just more than anybody else. One of my favorite Van Halen... Like pieces of music is not even guitar. It's the beginning of. It sounds like the car starting. That's yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, dude, so that's cool. I mean, that's an amazing song. Yeah. Just top well, to bottom. And, and just, funny, I mean, just that, just the drum in the beginning, like, is so awesome right. to make drums sound like a hot rod. So cool. They did well, technically dub 
a couple of those toms, but he's doing it, and it sounds mm-hmm. for for his brother to be doing that, and then him come in on guitar just like in a way that no one else has ever come in like on a guitar. It's incredibly cool. I feel like if you were born from sixty to maybe seventy five, it's like that was like your first big band like you were either a kid that that was the first rock and roll you were hearing or you were 18 and van halen one came out which is probably their best album is probably their first Mm, one i I think it's better than 84 but it's almost it's it reminded me of appetite for destruction i listened to it again the first time in a long time it's not as good but it's it's very comparable like friend of mine we were talking about a friend of mine he was like van halen one's like it's it's like appetite destruction in this way it's it's a drinking album but like hard liquor drinking, like it's, you want to be drinking hard. They're a party liquor. band, man. They're just a yeah. party band. Mm-hmm. I mean, but I don't know why. I never really like, you know, I know a lot of their songs and love a lot of their songs, but never really put them on. I mean, because they they're pretty, they're fairly ubiquitous. Like you hear a lot of their stuff, not as much as like you have the past couple of weeks since like sporting events. You can tell like everybody who's running TV stations now and like the sporting things. We're born between 1960 and 1975 because everything going to commercial was a freaking Eddie Van Halen rip. <laughs> In the last two weekends. It was such a perfect storm. He's such a great guitar player. And then to have the name Van Halen, so sick. And then it's just such a great name, right? It's such a great name, first of all. And then (laughs) such a great band name. It all worked together. They really parallel ACDC a lot. You got two brothers in the band that are the genesis of the band. Mm -hmm. Singer who you could, I mean, he can do crazy shit. And no one can sing like Brian Johnson except. Yeah, yeah. I hear what you're saying. And it's straight ahead. I think... uh, Eddie Van Halen is probably the last, or, or the the most recent, and probably the last of the like. If I had a had to have like a Mount Rushmore of rock guitar, it would be Robert jo- in order. Robert Johnson, like chronological. Robert Johnson, Muddy Waters, Chuck Berry, Hendrix, Eddie Van Halen. I don't think anyone's done anything with the guitar since Eddie Van Halen that has moved the needle, but just in a technical expansion of the instrument. Not having been a good guitar player, it's a bunch of good guitar players. You can yeah, tell I, Eddie Van Halen I, I, instantly. Yeah, I agree. Like, especially in a sense of pop culture, like there hasn't been a guitar player yeah. that's just like grabbed, you know, the the zeitgeist like he did. You know. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think probably big, but... Jack, Jack White would probably be considered the closest, but I don't think he's in that yeah. level. He just said that, or he didn't move the instrument forward. A couple few years ago, I was going to North Carolina, and it's like one of these really fucked up two layover trips, and I was like in Atlanta at like four or five in the morning on the second layover, not knowing anything except i usually bring a guitar with me when i travel if i can and uh and it's cool because you start talking to people a couple of folks come over shooting the shit and i love playing the hey man so what, what do you, what do you real like? quick do you play mm-hmm. your guitar at airports yeah well it was just I, you know i don't i try to go somewhere where i'm actually not going to be like i'm not like out like with a tip hat out <laughs> you're not busking in the terminal i'm not busking i'm trying to get away from people and <laughs> just so do it somewhere can't this be love? Exactly. And like I said, it really just has a way to pass time. But um, anyway, so a couple guys come over, we were shooting the shit, and this guy was like, yeah, man. He was like, I went to school. I'm from Pasadena, and I went to high school with Eddie Van Halen. He was a couple years ahead of me. And I was like, cool, man. That's awesome, you know? And like, um, he was like, but after they graduated, they they would still play parties. And... They were playing on the Sunset Strip then. You know, they were discovered by, like, you know, Gene Simmons or whatever. And, um, but, like, a band that was about, like, a year and a half away from being world famous was playing parties in Pasadena. And he was like, dude, a thousand people would come to the parties. He's like, there'd be people as far as you can see anywhere. The mm-hmm. cops would come and shut it down because nice. 
I cannot wrap my mind around the experience of going to a party, never, having never heard of Van Halen, and seeing fucking Van Halen. It would melt your brain. <laughs> it would blow your head off. And, and what's cool is there's a documentary on Netflix, and I was watching it as a, one of these really like one-and-a-half star ones. But anyway, they, taught, they, they brought up that same exact thing, confirming that you know, what he yeah. said was bullshit. It's really That's cool. That's awesome. I was like, wow. So, rest in peace, Eddie Van Halen. And speaking of another band that has two brothers in it and a epic guitar player that may be underrated at this point, I would say, historically, would be the Allman Brothers Band. And this week we are discussing the song Whipping Post. You are listening to Pod Gave Rock and Roll to you. And what we're going to do this week is we are going to play the very first Pod Gave Rock and Roll to you that we recorded back at the beginning of this pandemic when the three of us uh, were looking for a reason to hang out to and live. have some drinks <laughs> virtually. To stay alive. <laughs> to, stay, <laughs> to stay alive. To survive. Gotta survive. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, recorded it. Or actually, no, the first time we did this was like the week before on, on the back porch. Uh, virtually, we talked for an hour about whipping posts, and we were like, all right, let's record this next week. And we did. Now you're going to hear <laughs> us talk about the song Whipping Post by the Allman Brothers Band. Probably my favorite song. So uh, is, that, is, that, is that why you want to do this song? Because it's one of your favorites, Allman Brothers songs? Definitely. Yeah, I mean, it's one of my. If, I wouldn't say it's my favorite, but it's such a classic. It's a great. I mean, it's a great mix of song and like performance. It's a great jam. I mean, you don't really hear many. I mean, you couldn't call this song a single because there, I don't think there's ever been a 27 minute single. But like, it's crazy to kind of have a hit song that is a jam. I can't think of many hit songs that are jams. Yeah, a 23 minute jam. Well, yeah, you look at what what. So it was released in 1969 on their self titled debut. It was only five minutes, and then it became popularized in with the Fillmore East version, which is 23 minutes long. And I think that's why people who know the song is from the from the live version slash versions. In some ways, it's like. It's just such a great uh, example of a blues song, but put into like a classic rock, not even not pop at all, but it's just it's so catchy, but it's also just blues. It's so many blues themes, just like my woman done me wrong. I feel like I'm dying. It's also in a weird time signature and almost jazzy, but it's also almost like pure blues. What do you what do you mean? It's in a weird time signature. What does that mean? It's in eleven eight. What is what is a what does eleven mean? It's like between uh, ten and twelve. Well, no, but, it's like well, a no, three, like, three, three, two. So it's one. Two. I don't understand that because I feel like you can count it in four. I don't know why you can't count it in four though. Yeah. Just just don't worry about a wall. And so so that's 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 the time signature. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three, one, or one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. And I read that um, that Greg didn't have any idea. Dwayne had to tell him, like, hey, man, it's, it's an 11-4 or 11-8. Yeah, I think you can say either way. Yeah, he didn't even know. He's like, I just 
just and, sounded good to me. Another thing I, I looked at when when we were looking at this song is that, you know, you think like you guys were saying it's like typical blues where it's about a woman who done you wrong. But he actually wrote the song based on uh, uh, he moved to Los Angeles in the late 60s and then he moved back and he didn't. The way the song is arranged, it's almost like I mean, I'm not going to go so far as to say it's classical. But you think it's down and 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 then has da 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 and all that shit. It's like orchestrated before it gets into the blues, which is pretty. Yeah. Well, I can't think of many songs that do that. That's why it lends itself so well to a live performance is because it's such a jam bed of just, it do doesn't change during the jam. It's just all that A minor, right. B minor, C. Um, it's a jam song that is very easy to just really get after, and but it has those interesting hits that you don't usually hear. You know, as we said earlier, it, it, it's recorded and a five minute version is the first recording. So it obviously wasn't written as a jam song. It's a difference there. Well, You're talking about just no, drawing something out. I was just segueing from what Jonathan said. It's almost classical. But it lends itself to that because it has those refrains and hooks that they can keep coming back to. But right. your point was just the way it's written. It's well, it's, the form, the, the form of it, like it's or it's like I've it, it's an it's like it's orchestrated around a blues, which is kind of cool. I can't really think of many songs offhand. I mean, that aren't Almond Brothers related that do that. I mean, that's kind of I guess maybe one of their hallmarks where it's like they have these big musical ideas. I think this is one of their first, or maybe the first iteration of like. The classic Almond Brothers sound is like these harmonizing guitar refrains that right. tie the song together. How many more bands before this do you think were dual guitar rock? I mean, I know early Fleetwood Mac had two, but there wasn't much the dual lead. guitars. There wasn't much like dual lead at the same time. I can't really. I mean, outside. I mean, I'm sure you you probably hear it in some studio stuff here and there, maybe. But like, I don't. I've never heard of anybody that was really doing it on the regular. Because I mean, I was listening to some early Fleetwood Mac the other day, and it it, it was alive, and it just really reminded me of Almond Brothers, which I guess would mean the Almond Brothers, you know reminded me of Fleet Mac. How early was it though? 67, 68. Yeah. So I guess it would have been, you know, yeah. just before this, if not around the same time. It was recorded before that, but you had sent me that and I was like, hold on a minute. I can't I can't admit that the Almond Brothers like were early for like Oh I'm not I'm not saying I they know. copied from them. I'm just saying I had I don't think I'd heard sixties rock with two guitars b before mm -hmm. Almond Brothers really. Not, no, because no. I mean, because the Stones, they don't, they never got into like they were like you clearly have kind of lead and rhythm for them. They were never playing leads at the same yeah, time or harmonizing. Still, one of the only bands that that's their one of their calling cards. Well, it takes that's one of those things like that's a that's a result of time they spent together. Like that's not the kind of thing you can get together and do like oh you, you know on the fly like with, with, that's like a. That's like you're not gonna do that on the roof of the you know the Beatles like oh we're just gonna fucking improvise some like dual lead harmony guitar. Um, <laughs> it takes it's like it that's a that's a time spent together um, creation. I would say I mean Skinner was obviously a, a, an after after them took a lot of influence from them. I would sure. even say My Morning Jacket, a modern band now that's very based on dueling. Lead, you know, lead guitars. Yeah, but not to the same extent. But yeah, I get what you're saying. Uh, well, live showing definitely. They, they I mean, it's, it's all mm -hmm. double yeah. guitar solos yeah. and stuff. I don't know. I can't really think of anything off the top of my head in between there. I, the, the Grateful Dead doesn't really do that. It's basically all just a lead and then Bob mm -hmm. playing rhythm, right? Uh, I mean, I can't think of any birds. There may be some Jefferson Airplane a little bit that gets a little, but not the same way. Not in the same way. 
Bird's Airplane are a little bit before the Allman Brothers. I'm talking like, well, no, if you think about the 70s rock bands and like the late 70s, like the, I don't know, maybe um, uh, like Yes probably has. Well, actually, or, you hear some of it in, I think maybe in some um, Steely Dan. But anyway. 38 like, Special. Hold on, Lucy. But only go. Just back to Whipping Post. The legend of this song is, cracks me up. Did you guys read any of that? Or it's uh-huh. like a 21 year old Greg Allman frantically writing down his own lyrics on an ironing board with a match. Like, basically, it says that he, he got up in the middle of the night, was inspired to write this song, and he, all he could find was an old ironing board. And then one of them, one of the things I read said, a car's headlight illuminated in the kitchen just enough time for Greg to spot a box of matches to burn one and start writing on the back of an ironing board, which is hilarious. I'm sure that's not the case, but... That's great. That's a great, like, origin story for yeah. a really good song. I mean, Yeah, and I'm sure it was... I'm, I'm sure he was woken up in the middle of the night, but just the car's headlight. Uh, who wrote this? I'm not sure exactly. Uh, Wikipedia is some of it. Yeah, I mean, pretty much any any research was, that, that's been done on this is, is Wikipedia. Was, yeah. Oh, so that was on Wikipedia. Yeah, I mean, there's a history to the song. I'm, you know, Greg's done multiple interviews over the years. That's where it's from, Greg. <laughs> the I headlights remember. and illuminating the kitchen, all that stuff is... No, not that. No, not the, the that. that was what I was laughing at. The matchstick. Yeah, me too. And the, <laughs> the matchstick on the ironing board waking up in the middle of the night, probably, you know... And you know. I heard it from... Um, I, I reached out... Remember my old landlord who was a huge Allman Brothers fan? He had like a mushroom tattoo, the whole deal. <laughs> Maybe. So the the getting back to like the song uh, and the performance of the song, I wonder if at that time I can't think of anything that like live albums that would have been basically re- took a song from relative obscurity. Fair to say, I mean, Whipping Post didn't wasn't on any charts. The album, the Allman Brothers Band self-titled album, wasn't either. And then Fillmore East kind of got it in '71, two years later. Popularity over the airwaves, like. Were there any songs before that? You know, the live version was more popular than the studio version. Well, that's a good question. I can't. I mean, I mean you this was in, what, 71? So, like, uh, when was Band of Gypsies? That was, that was New Year's Eve, 69 going to 70. Yeah, but that wouldn't have taken, like, I'm talking about a song becoming, this is probably the first time that that registered on a popularity scale in terms of people knew this song strictly from a live version of the song. And if you get into the history of the song, I mean, if you go back and listen to Whipping Post, I doubt you're going back to listen to the one from the album. You're listening to one of the hundred, you know, tens of, you know, maybe hundreds of, of live versions that they have of the Allman Brothers with and without the original band. It just sucks that this band was cut down like at the beginning of their prime. Like. Oh, I got one. Here's one for you. Here's a live hit song. The Johnny Cash Falls from Prison Shit. Ah, that's a good one. Yeah. All You Need Is Love. All right. Well, that, All You Need Is Love is only live. I don't think there's a studio version of that. Yeah, uh, that's fair. But like Crossroads by Cream, that's. I don't know if they did a studio version. Dig a Pony, the Beatles tune, but you're right. These aren't tunes. These are tunes that were, the the hits were live. I will say after listening, you know, to a lot of the covers, you really don't, and it makes sense. I mean, the, the original lineup by and away the best versions of the song. You know, not only the Fillmore East 71, but you have Boston 71. You have another Fillmore East, uh, I think the night before, which has been released. You have one from the Atlanta International Pop Festival in 1970, a 14-minute version there. Um, and then you have a couple in 72 right before they both died, the Macon City Auditorium, which I guess is more of a hometown show, one in at the Fillmore West well, yeah. in 71. And, and they're all great. And, but you, you can listen to them back in the 80s when they like, brought on Warren Haynes and Dickie Betts are playing the guitar solos in the 90s when you have Warren Haynes and um, what's his name? Derek, Derek Trucks. And they're just 
I don't know. The one thing when I was listening to this song a lot, and you guys can help me with this, is that the live versions from the early 70s are so good that everything else, every other, it almost seems like the other iterations of the Allman Brothers bands are just covering the song. Well, they are, except for, you know... I mean, Greg's vocals are still there, and they're still great. But that's one of the amazing things about the Allman Brothers, is that they kept going for years, and I saw them in the 90s a lot, and just, but it, it still felt like the Allman Brothers, though. Even though, like, you know, looking back and listening to the song, that is definitely the best versions, but even that 90s stuff, I think it's maybe just nostalgia, but I love that stuff, too. I love Dickie and Wayne, or Warren. Well, I mean, no, nothing's ever going to be as good as when it first comes together. You got guys who've been struggling their whole lives, and then suddenly they're the best band around, and they sound incredible, and they got all that excitement and all that practice, and, and everything is like new territory, and they have nothing to look back to. They only have the fo- the future to look forward to, and they're just in the moment, and they're you know probably all early, mid-20s, and they're just, you know, they're setting the world on fire, and it's like, with a song that's like, and I, I don't, I, I don't think aggressive is the right word. Maybe energetic. But with a song that is that energetic, if you back off the throttle the least, it ain't gonna be that. Whereas the guys like Willie Nelson and the Grateful Dead, they could do like a more mellow, chill version of, of their t- tunes, and they could be just as interesting. But you know, for that kind of that muscular of a tune, if you will, uh, you know, you, you just are, you're gonna have a hard time. And you're always, to your point, Josh, you're always gonna be like trying to hit that high watermark again. There's a lot of covers of this song, and they are um, <laughs> not good. I mean, it, growing up in Mississippi, you heard a lot of blues covers. Jonathan, I know you probably heard some of this in North Carolina, but like you go to, you know, just random bars, you hear the cheesiest like tone of like blues solos and the and and just really mediocre uh, vocals of people overextending themselves to like, hit those high notes. I feel like it's a great song because the performance by anybody else pales in comparison. And like, there's not, I couldn't find a good cover of the song. That suggests it's a good performance. If it's a good song, anybody can make it sound good. That's a great point. And like, I I think song versus performance, like it's just an amazing song. And the performance from the Fillmore's just made it epic. I think it's a really, really good song. I think I think it's a great song, but I think the performance is extraordinary. Like I haven't heard anybody else write a song that good like in a while. You know, what I mean? but the the thing that makes it special clearly, and look at our, our points being made for us. We're talking about the live version, you know. So the, the, the yeah, our point is the proof's in the pudding. We're talking about the live version. I will yeah. say this. I, I just want to shout out this King Eight Ten uh, Freddie Gibbs version is banging though you guys need to get there and check that out when i first heard that i thought it was a lonely island production it it starts off as kind of an like an edm you know kind of like oh this is gonna be like a chill you know i was like oh this is like moby <laughs> i thought my, my i thought my streaming was fucked up because i was like this is all what's going on with the song but, i mean probably the most popular cover is the frank zappa version you know i listen to i've never been a huge zappa fan it's basically the the song on Coke. Which is funny, though, because Allman Brothers were on Coke and Zappa did no drugs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If there's a there's a YouTube video of, of this Zappa version from, like, 84. And oh, the, God, the guy, so bad. The guy who's singing the song is playing keys. And with it's like just a so early 80s. <laughs> no, he's got a vest with nothing on underneath, oh, okay. but, like, a silk red vest with nothing on underneath. You said, uh, you mentioned that the Almonds were on Coke. Zappa wasn't. Did you know the story behind the cover of Fillmore? Oh, yeah, I, I did, but I forgot. Basically, they're they're having a photo shoot, and Dwayne like spotted a guy he'd called earlier for some drugs, 
And in between some of the shots, he ran over, scored, came back and sat down before the photographer even noticed what was going on. So oh, they're hilarious. all like cracking up laughing. And if you see his hand is like clutched in his lap. Oh, nice. Get eating grin on his face and everyone else is just dying laughing. That's what'll make you as happy as drugs. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but the reason why I know like uh, Zappa was anti-drug was because John Frusciani auditioned and got and, and got accepted into this, and then he found out like you can't you can't do any drugs in Zappa's band. I'm not going to join his band. That was yeah, that was the definite opposite of the Almond Brothers band. Where I think the what's what's the story with Dwayne and Greg? Where the last time he saw him, he was like he had done all of his coke and he uh, pissed at him. He lied he, to him, right? That yeah. story is fucking terrible. It's like well, whatever. I mean, that to me that's just. So that's coincidental. Oh, and just quickly, I mean, just the tragedy of the Almond Brothers, just the, the the quick Dwayne and Barry Oakley within a year dying like blocks apart on a motorcycle. And then the, the fact they were able to keep going and, and have it hit songs well, much after that. And then Dickie Betts getting kicked out of the band who wrote a bunch <laughs> of those songs. <laughs> and well, and every other band like that you compare to them, if it's a tragedy, it's always self-inflicted. You know, with them, it was just, well, even them and Skittered, you know? Skinner was a, a plane, uh, Dwayne and Barry were a motorcycle. Like, it's just, it is really tragic because- uh, The lesson during this quarantine is don't don't travel by automated wheels. It's yeah. motorcycles. It's yeah. Motorcycles are not like, motorcycles are not safe. Biking and walking. That's the only way to do it these days. So so get back. So you guys were talking about the song structure earlier, and I, I want to get into like, so w- what makes the performance so epic? Because for me, not really knowing how to describe it musically, I would say like, you know, it starts off, I mean, the bass line, the dum da 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 dum it's just like, I, I'm going somewhere quickly. And like, there's some urgency there, you know, and then Greg's just kind of... 60-year-old raspy dude vocals at, I mean, it's you know, arguably 18. one of the most epic bass intros. <laughs> so recognizable. and It's up there. And, but the vocals as well. I think one of the things when we talk about the cover is like every other vocal sounds cheesy unless it's him singing it. You come in with those lyrics and it's just there's nobody in the world that cannot relate to that first line. It's like, boom. There's some urgency there and it's like, all right, well, what are you going to do about it? You know, and The structure of the song I love because... I love the balls of just doing verse, chorus, jam. We're, we're jamming. Yeah, it's, here. It's, it's two <laughs> verses and a chorus is the song. It's verse. That's yeah, all yeah, the and, lyric yeah. Lies. And then an outro, like. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it. That's it. And then you have these, these just epic jams that they kind of. Well, and it is epic, I think, because it is has such a blues theme, like I was talking about before. But is basically jazz. Like when you you hear the guitars rocking, but behind it's just. You know, like uh, it almost sounds like Coltrane or something. It's probably, I mean, I'm guessing here, but it's probably a, what, a minute and a half before he sings a line. Yeah. I mean, I mean it, it's, it's, a, it's a good like. And that's that's kind of a common theme, you know, I mean, we, we all used to play in a band together and like we played a couple of Allman Brothers tunes. I mean, that's kind of a common thing in Allman Brothers tunes, right? They, they, they like have a nice little long intro to just get, you know, get in the pocket or whatever. And mm-hmm. and before Greg comes in singing. Well, it's because I mean, well, that's the thing, man, like because obviously they're clearly blues based, if not just a blues band, like whatever. You know, that stuff was about folks having fun and dancing and not like it wasn't the folk school was more about let's talk about problems or the government or intellectualize whatever this stuff is for folks who are working and getting off work and just don't want to the last thing they want to do is like intellectualize anything they just want to hang out and so it's more about the vibe and the music and the riff and the drive than it is the the the, the lyrics are there almost to keep it 
justified the playing, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, I, but the lyrics are great. They're great. I mean, they were definitely in that lane that the Grateful Dead had already. But I think they reached touring. more people. They reached Deadheads and Blues. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think like, they, they came in. It was like a harder edge Grateful Dead, you know? I mean, they were. Yeah. It wasn't well, just. They probably, and they, have, they were probably a little more radio friendly, too, like with Midnight Rambler and stuff. Like the, the yeah. Dead never had, like, that until was, the eight. Like, last minute in general, like, they I had think, songs. Like, I was reading about when they recorded uh, their first album, they, at that point they weren't even worried about radio success because they had already tried that greg had tried that in la and basically they were like we just want to jam we think we can get this to a point where we charge two to three thousand dollars a night and that's enough for us and like we don't want radio success we just want to play good music we don't care we tried that it didn't work that's the best way to be successful is to not worry about being successful yeah and when it comes to art it is because as soon as you start worrying about it then you're expressing worry like who wants to hear that shit? You know, you can't. You, if you're worried, if you're if you have career motivations in your songwriting, they come through whether or not you intend for them to or not. There, there there's got to be a confidence in your heartbreak and sorrow that comes across. Want to relate to it, but they don't want to think you're as as as, as struggling as much as, as like struggling as much, but defined struggling. You know, like not wavering struggling you know it's got to be like damn this guy sounds like he's fucking been lied to you know and then the band's got right. that urgency behind him to like you can tell that they feel it but that's the thing though is it's like i mean for me man that's what like i i've kind of realized a while back like to me art is just making statements like or, or declarations like and then and if you say it in a way that that, that really comes across to people then none of us are so unique that there's no one else in the world that sees things the way we do so if we say it in a way that it's succinct, but also can really transfer that experience. You'll find folks who like, I mean, no matter whether you're Zappa or Death Cab for Cutie or Bowie, like you'll find your audience or your audience will find Fred, you. Brad Gibbs. I mean, where has he been all my life? <laughs> <laughs> so when you get into, so, all right. So when we get into the, the jam part of this performance, I, I would say that the part that sticks out to me, probably the ending, you know, that the boom, 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 That's That's definitely... Bom, bom. The defining moment of the song. I don't know. I mean, that's your favorite part of the song. That's, that's my favorite part. That's of my the, favorite part. Is that your? Do you what? have a? My favorite part is when the guitar comes in playing the octave over the bass because the bass is like. Yeah, and that's a setup for the part we're talking about. It pops off with the with his vocal there at the end. You know, good lord, I feel like I'm dying. Or sometimes he would say. There ain't no such thing as dying, or I don't, or I don't feel like dying. You know, <laughs> well, however his, his mood was, I think there was a TV version of uh, American Idol. This guy Bo Bice finished second, and he finished <laughs> like the finale. He sang this song in 2005. But Bo Bice was tied um, down to the whipping post. Yeah, he was tied down to the whipping post. <laughs> well, the other thing that I think that's really big in this song that is extremely like powerful and extremely uh, effective, but it's very easy to not notice it is it's just dynamics. There's a lot of loud, quiet, loud, quiet. Yeah. Build, build, drop, build, drop, build, drop. Yeah, and I think, like I was saying before, just with the time signature and the kind of jazz nature of it, it has so so many good hits, you know? Mm. And I swear, I, I heard... Like, And that's why the in between the quiet and the loud is those, you know, it, the hits. In a couple of the live versions, they do a little, when it gets quiet in some of the solos, they do a little go-to-sleep little baby, <laughs> like, runs. I'm just hearing things, but I definitely heard that in a couple of them. It um, wasn't go-to-sleep little baby, but there is a nursery rhyme song. <laughs> I couldn't figure it out today, but it was not go-to-sleep little baby. It was 
No, I can't remember right now. I... <laughs> yeah, so I also, in the lyrics, you know, I've known this growing up in the South, you hear the Allman Brothers on classic rock radio all the time. And I always thought he said, and I can go on, sometimes I feel. What's he saying? He is saying, and I can't run. But just, I love how it also expresses um, a classic Almonds theme of, it's in a minor key, but just the, even though the chorus is so sad and troubling, it's A major and D major. You know, like the Almonds always seem to resolve to at least at one point in the song, they have some major chords and like a little kind of release. Yeah, yeah, you're right. They definitely. Which it doesn't. Sound major, but it is, you know, like when you listen to it, you're like, not like, oh, that's, oh, that's the happy part. <laughs> well, I, I would say I definitely love this song and I definitely love the performance. I, I would say out of all the covers I listened to, I'd say there's a guy, Noah Guthrie, who probably did it the best. If you like the Almond Brothers and you like this version, I mean, for me, I would say listen to early Fleetwood Mac, listen to Leonard Skinner, listen to My Morning Jacket. I don't know if you have any recommendations you would throw out for well, people I would, who like well, this music. I would say um, listening to them, my favorite was actually the from the last night of Fillmore on the, the deluxe Eat a Peach. They released that a couple years ago. Um, it's very similar, but just the guitar work on that one, I think, is a little tighter. And um, I just, I, I love it. I love Dickie's stuff on that. I don't know. It might be sacrilege to say, but I feel like Dickie, I feel like Dwayne's a better musician and Dickie is a better guitar player in some ways. Dickie basically is always crushing it. and But Dwayne has a higher ceiling, lower floor. Dickie's always Dickie, but like, just some of his runs, and he has that honking guitar. Like I, I know it is sacrilege, but that's. I just... think I think he's. I think maybe like he has like I think some more like maybe intricate licks. He well, he just bounces around. He's he's part of, because he took the Allman Brothers from the seventies to um he kind of took the torch from Greg or Dwayne in that that version I'm talking about on Eat a Peach. Dickie's getting after it. I think yeah. Dwayne's maybe more like just melodic. Yeah, he, well, he's a he's a brilliant musician. Dickie was just a hired hand, like not hired hand, but he wasn't right. a woman brother. He's Dickie Betts, but uh, right. Johnny, any any music you would recommend? I mean, yeah, like uh, I'm Your Captain by like Grand Funk Railroad. That's a good one. Yeah, is definitely great. Um, I mean, you got all of Molly Hatchet like stuff like flirting with disaster and like all that, which is I mean, it's even like you know, I mean, a little more toward the countryside of stuff like Charlie Daniels Band, like some of that stuff in the '70s. Like those dudes definitely get down. North Carolina and the Hizzy. And I'm trying to think who else. Yeah, like mainly those guys, because those guys still have that regional sound versus like your your ZZ Top, it was more Texas. Yeah. Aerosmith, obviously, you know, Boston. They all kind of reflected their regions, you know, and uh, but they also kind of brought like a similar spirit to, and, and vocally, you could even make a case that a guy like Bob Seeger is kind of like a Greg without. The, um, he's like, you know, he's kind of like, he's like, he's like and pop radio. Great. I, I, w- I would even say like, based on that, like, you know, there's a, there's a country funk album. And I would say the Allman Brothers invented that kind of swamp funk, Southern rock sound that, mm-hmm. that. It's like either them or CCR. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> from yeah, San Francisco, I mean, band. Yeah. I mean, it's, I love that sound. I love that. Cause I mean, I love the doors for that. And the doors don't. You know, they don't have the classic, like, blues lineup, and they don't have, like, Robbie Krieger wasn't, like, some, like, big-time blues guitar player. But Ray Manzarek was from Chicago, and Morrison had more just balls. I mean, and not and, and not vocal, but just, like, I'm just that motherfucker kind of vibe. And that's essence of blues. 
that whole yeah. backdoor man, like Howlin' Wolf, like it's almost more like the character is the thing. Yeah. And now Greg, Greg's got the voice and stuff. But, you know, I don't, I, I don't think the doors get their due, man, because like even Roadhouse Blues, and then even the stuff like I've been down so long, where it's just like, you know, and he, I think Morrison was either from Virginia and or Florida, I believe, so he had some of that Southern thing, and and, and they jammed obviously in a, in a different way. And then well, Zeppelin, now Zeppelin would jam too, also, but in in different ways. Laughter, so. I would say they they were. Well, no, they were around the same time, right? One more 69. band that you have to bring up is Taj Mahal because he inspired Dwayne to pick up a slide by doing Statesboro Blues. Yeah, and I would say on top of that, if you, uh, I recently read a book about the guitar player Michael Bloomfield, and you know all this kind of stuff does circle back to that Chicago urban blues sound because that's it's it's not Delta blues, you know, they're not playing off the acoustic uh, right. tradition of blues musician musicians, they're playing off the Chicago urban blues sound. And Bloomfield was the first American white musician to bring that into the white market. Autobiography of him called The Guitar King. There's a great, great story about Jim Morrison uh, being extremely drunk on stage when Jimi Hendrix played in Los Angeles for one of the first times and just hugging his leg as Janis Joplin was throwing whiskey at him to get off the stage. I've got a... um recording of morrison and hendrix on stage together and morrison i, I think this is in new york though and morrison is shit faced and he's just screaming obscenities like, and trying like to get stage. vile obscenities it might have been in new york it may not have been in la and janice joplin's off the side also drunk and she comes out at a certain point and takes him off stage <laughs> i mean it's just vile he's just like yeah uh-huh. all right uh we're gonna play the song now and then we'll be back next week I've been run down And I've been lied to And I don't know why I let that mean woman make me a fool She took all my money And wrecked my new car And now she's with one of my good time buddies Drinking in some crosstown bar Sometimes I feel Sometimes I feel Like I've been tied To the whipping post Tied to the whipping post Tied to the whipping post Good Lord, I feel like I'm dying
sometimes I feel Sometimes I feel Like I've been tied To the whipping pole Tied to the whipping pole Tied to the whipping pole Good Lord, I feel like I'm dying All right, and that cover was performed by the three of us uh josh bono vocals neil marshall on guitar jonathan horton on guitar and next week is jonathan's week johnny what are we gonna be talking about vamos hablar de los seasons de el future islands no um uh, yeah we'll do uh future islands seasons can't wait <laughs> Clips you heard this week were from the Allman Brothers Band song Whipping Post, released in 1969 on the self-titled debut, The Allman Brothers Band. The song is written by Greg Allman, produced by Adrian Barber, and released on Capricorn Records.